Welcome to the Converge Community Church Podcast, where we provide for you the previous Sunday morning sermon. And now without further ado, may the Holy Spirit minister to your heart as you hear the preaching of God's Word. Beloved church, it is good to be with you. It's good to worship with you, and it's, it's such a joy to be able to share the Word of God with you this morning. We are currently in the middle of our ongoing Matthew series, and our passage this morning um, is a very important passage. It, it marks a significant turning point that will profoundly shape the course of the rest of this gospel, the rest of Matthew's gospel narrative. And it's here that we witness that what we're going to read this morning is Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And so looking ahead to next week's reading, we will delve into how Jesus, following this pivotal moment, this confession, how he begins to reveal to his disciples that he must journey to Jerusalem, suffer many things, die on the cross, and three days later rise again. And so this is kind of like the the pinnacle uh, or the crescendo of what's going to take place. It's going to take this turn, and now uh, Jesus is going to focus on his journey towards Jerusalem. He's going to reveal this to his disciples. So this is an important passage. It's an, an important moment in Jesus's ministry. So when we initially look at this passage in Matthew, it can appear somewhat random or disjointed, but there's, there's a message here that Matthew wants us to understand. And it boils down to this idea. This is kind of the main idea of our passage this morning. And it is this, that amidst the numerous falsehoods that often grab our attention, God reveals the messianic king who will advance his kingdom. Now, I just said a mouthful there, so let me repeat that again. I know it's on the screen for you. Amidst amidst the numerous falsehoods that often grab our attention, God reveals the messianic king who will advance his kingdom. So hopefully we'll be able to unpack that this morning. Before we do, let me just kind of remind you of what we've gone through so far in Matthew. As Jesus carries on with his mission, and it involves preaching about the kingdom of heaven, it's performing acts of healing, it's, it's casting out demons, it's bringing the, dece- uh, the deceased back to life, And throughout all of this, different groups of people respond differently. So you have the religious leaders who reject Jesus and his message. They oppose him at every turn. You have the crowds who are drawn to Jesus because of the astonishing miracles that he's performing. And they're left in in awe of him. You have the disciples who are following him, but they often struggle with doubts and and they too fail to grasp the depth of his teachings and of who he is. And then there's the Gentiles 
who are outsiders to the Jewish community and do not have the history that the Jewish community has and, and the relationship with God that the Jewish people have or the written word of the Jewish people. Yet we see these accounts of these individuals, these Gentiles who have great faith in Jesus. So last week in chapter 15, Jesus told his disciples that his primary mission was to minister to the lost sheep of Israel. But here's this woman, this Canaanite woman or Gentile woman who's following after him, crying out, have mercy on me. And it's because she had this demon possessed daughter. She must've been a teenager. I'm just kidding. That was a joke. My kids aren't here, so I can throw that one out without any uh, repercussions. But here's the thing. Despite her being a Gentile, Jesus marvels at her persistent faith. At first, he's like, hey, I'm only supposed to be ministering to the Jewish people. And she is persistent. She keeps following after him. And even though she, he, he resists her, she keeps coming at him. And to such an extent to where he marvels at her faith, how great her faith is, this Gentile, and, and he actually responds to her request. He heals her daughter. So this event serves, this, this uh, interaction with the Canaanite woman and Jesus, it serves as a foreshadowing of a greater fulfillment. And that is, so listen carefully, that salvation would ultimately be realized through the death and resurrection of Jesus to all people to all people. This is a foreshadowing of that. Matthew is basically dropping hints in his gospel saying, hey, listen, it's not only going to be to the Jews, but it's going to be to the Jews and the Gentiles, the whole world. And I think last week we kind of, we, we talked about this, of the Abrahamic covenant and how it was a promise to Abraham and his descendants, but not only to them, but to all nations, all nations will be blessed. And now Jesus is uh, Matthew in his gospel is kind of dropping hints of that. And I think today we're going to see it again. We're, we're going to see Matthew. He's going to unpack this a little bit more for us. Pointing towards the future of Jesus's death and resurrection and what that means, not just to the Jewish people, but for all people. So we know that Jesus is the promised king, and he's going to advance his kingdom. So with that, uh, Diane, is Diane, and do you have the microphone? Oh, no. Cool. Thank you, Justin. So Diane's going to read for us. This is Matthew chapter 16, verses 1 through 20. Uh, if, if you could stand, I, I always forget to, to ask that, but if you would like to stand just in honor of the reading of the word. You don't have to if uh, you don't want to, if you can't, but yeah, go ahead. Matthew 16, on, 1 through 20. Really close to the mouth. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and to test them, they asked to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, 
but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, We brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, O oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive, do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I do not speak about bread? Beware of leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood. He did not tell them to beware of the leaven of the bread, but of the teachings of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea and Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do you people say that the Son of Man is? And they say, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah and one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth shall be lost in heaven lost in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, we pray, Lord, that you would, that you would draw near, that we would hear from you. And Lord, through it, we would be transformed into a greater likeness of Jesus and with a greater faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so I've broken this section into three different scenes. Uh, the first scene is that the Pharisees are deceiving, okay? The Pharisees are deceiving. This is verses one through four. And we have read previously, uh, previous encounters with Jesus and the, the Pharisees and Sadducees, and we know that they are actively seeking to destroy him. They don't like his teaching. They don't like what he's doing. And so they have it out for him. So here we see that they're testing Jesus. And so this request that they have for a sign is, is one of these ways where they're trying to trap him or to trip him up in some way. So they approach Jesus requesting a sign. And, and this is actually a second time this takes place. This is the same thing we saw in chapter 12. Um, and again, Jesus responds in the same way that he responded to the first time. So look at verses two and three. He answered them, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. So Jesus answers to the Pharisees and Pharisees, the Pharisees and the Sadducees 
is laced with a bit of irony here. They can read the signs in nature that these religious leaders who are experts in the Old Testament, they fail to correctly interpret the signs Jesus is performing right before their eyes. Isn't that astounding? Here are these experts in the Old Testament. They, they have read the signs. They're able to communicate it and repeat it, but they fail to in- interpret it correctly. And so Jesus' answer to the Pharisees and Sadducees, um, his, his response to them is very similar to Matthew chapter 12, because he says, you, this wicked generation, only a wicked generation asks for a sign. And so this is a rebuke. Jesus is rebuking these religious leaders. So Jesus has accomplished these remarkable feats. Think about it, such as uh, feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000, restoring sight to the blind, casting out demons, and even raising the dead. However, these remarkable acts fail to satisfy the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They continually demand more. And it's likely that even if Jesus were to provide greater signs, they would remain unsatisfied. So there's a, a joke. I guess it's kind of, it's more of a dad joke, I would say. So like, it's, you know, it's not that funny, but it, it's, it's this, I, um, it's this guy that uh, sitting in his chair in his living room and he's just, Uh, downcast. He's depressed. His wife finally asks him, why are you so down and depressed? He goes, because I am dead. And she's like, what are you, what are you talking about? He's like, I'm dead. She's like, you're not dead. Oh yes, I am dead. And so she's trying to explain to him and help him understand that he is not dead, that he's alive and he wouldn't have anything of it. Whatever she would say, he would just blow off. And so finally, She's bringing in these people to, to try to convince them that he's not dead. And, um, and nothing works until they bring in a doctor. And the doctor brings a book in with him, a medical book, and he opens it up and he says, now, this is a medical book talking about how, um, explaining how dead people don't bleed. And so he reads through it, explaining why dead people don't bleed. He's like, so do you believe that to be true. Dead people don't bleed. And the guy's like, yeah, I, I believe it. Dead people don't bleed. And then the doctor takes a, a needle and he pokes the man in the hand with it and he starts to bleed. He says, what do you think of that? And the man goes, my goodness, dead people really do bleed. <laughs> so what's the point? The point is, is it doesn't matter how you, what you explain or how you explain it, your reasons behind it, there's just some people that will not see. They will not hear. They will refuse to listen to reason. And this is where the Pharisees and the Sadducees are. It doesn't matter what Jesus does. They are out against him. And so even this request to, for a greater sign is not gonna satisfy them. And the interesting thing is Jesus understands this. He knows that the root cause for their disregard for Jesus is, is that they, uh, they have hardened hearts. 
and that they're more concerned with their own self-righteous pride than to humble themselves before Jesus. So Jesus actually says this in previous texts. He says, it's like the blind leading the blind. The blind leading the blind. That's what these Pharisees and Sadducees are. They're religious leaders who, who are just the blind leading the blind. And so Jesus calls out their blindness. They cannot rightly interpret the signs that are right in front of them And in verse four, we read that Jesus refused to give them a sign except for one specific sign. And it's the sign of Jonah. So what in the world is the sign of Jonah? So there's there's actually two answers to this. The sign of Jonah points to two significant truths. And and one, we we can go back to a previous context. This is Matthew chapter 12, where Jesus, again, is interacting with the Pharisees and Sadducees. And it was then that they asked for a sign as well. And Jesus repeats himself. He calls them wicked. And he says, I'm not going to give you a sign except for the sign of Jonah. And it continues on. And he says, uh, this is Matthew chapter 12, verse 39. He answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights into the belly of the great fish, so will the man, the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So there's a connection here. We know what the sign of Jonah is. It's this idea of Jonah being in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights. And Jesus is giving a foreshadow or a hint or a clue of what's going to take place, what's going to transpire in the future where he's going to be crucified, buried for three days, and after the third day, rise again. So there's this connection here with, with Jonah. Now, here's the thing, though. The Pharisees and, and not even the disciples understand what he's talking about, about the sign of Jonah. And I think that there's something more that Jesus is communicating here. There's a second truth underlying this whole idea of Jesus dying on the cross and rising again. And it's, I would say, an expansion of, of that truth. And it is this. It's, it's going back to Jonah, and the women are going through Jonah, right, on Thursdays. So this will kind of be interesting, because here's the question. Any time Jesus or anyone else refers back to the Old Testament and particular text, we want to understand the full context of it. Because usually what happens is they just, they throw out a name or they'll throw out a verse or two, but they're actually pointing back to the full context. And the people of that time would have understood that. So the full context of Jonah, the full context of Jonah, think of this. This is Jonah, a prophet who was asked to go to Nineveh, which is a Gentile city. In fact, it is an enemy of the Jewish people of Israel. And here's Jonah, a Jew, a prophet, being asked to go and and to preach and and, and to call for repentance for the city of Nineveh. And Jonah goes, no way. I'm not going there and preaching and proclaiming and and calling for repentance. Why? Because uh, Jonah knew that God was a God of mercy. And if they repented, God would forgive. Jonah did not want that. 
He wanted the wrath of God to fall upon that city. So instead of going and, and obeying the Lord, he goes the opposite way. And of course, God, through his sovereign plan, brings him back to where he's like, okay, I got to go do this. And so he goes and he, and he preaches to them. And guess what? The city repents and God spares them. God shows mercy upon them. And Jonah is angry about it. At the very end, Jonah is still angry about it. And, at, it's, it's, and, and God responds back, don't, am I not God? And I can show mercy on whom I want to show mercy to? And so that's, that's the context of Jonah. It's this idea that God is going outside of the people of God and showing mercy and grace to them. And so this, this image or this truth of uh, the sign of Jonah is not just that Jesus is going to die and three days later rise again, but it's also a foreshadow of the gospel, not just going to the Jewish people, but also to the Gentiles, to the rest of the world. This is the sign of Jonah. So the sign of Jonah not only foreshadows Jesus' resurrection, but also underscores his desire for repentance and salvation for all, even those who were historically viewed as outsiders and enemies. Friends, we need to remember this for even today. We can't see ourselves as insiders. We need to understand that we, have, we are sinners who have experienced God's grace and mercy. And that message needs to go out, even to those who we think may not deserve it. That message needs to go out. All right, so this brings us to our next scene where Jesus leaves the region and he hops into the boat with his disciples and they head to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And so this is scene two. And I'm calling it the disciples are misunderstanding. Disciples are misunderstanding. This is verse, verses five through 12. So Jesus travels across the sea again with his disciples. And I love how this scene starts off, right? The disciples forget to bring food with them for their trip. And this is such, we, are, we talked about this during Sunday school class. This is such a dad move, isn't it? Um, I, I actually shared like, uh, some examples of this in my own life with kids. Um, I remember one time, this was when, this was years ago, I think Violet, who's my, th my fourth child, she was maybe like two or three years old. She, she just started walking. She could walk on her own. I remember that much. And on Thursdays was my day off. And uh, one of our traditions back then was after lunch, we would go on some, kind of, some type of adventure together. We would go into the woods or we would go to the beach. And so this time we went to Warren Dunes and we went to this back entrance to the Warren Dunes. And um, we had to park outside um, at this campground and walk into Warren Dunes and walk to the beach over all these dunes in the sun. It's like a mile hike. It's like a long hike, like up and down dunes, okay? And so I take my kids, I, um, so it was... Aiden, Grace, Evie, and Violet. So uh, my four kids, we start trunching through. And what did I bring? What did we bring? We brought the dog 
and we brought towels. That was it. I don't, I don't know. I don't even remember if we brought water. Okay. And we trounce through, we get to the beach and we spend hours at the beach. And now we have to, you know, it's like that we're stuck there. Now we have to walk back. I remember having, and Violet, of course, is so young. She, she was good on the way there. She was not on the way back. Like it was rough. So I remember having her on my back, like climbing these dunes and we're all thirsty and hungry. Now, let me tell you something. If my wife was there, Number one, if she found out that that's what happened, she wouldn't be happy. But if she was there, that would not have happened, right? There would have been food, there would have been water, there would have been chairs, there would have been anything that we needed. So this is like a, this is definitely like a dad thing to do. The disciples go, they don't bring food. And they're like, oh man, oh. And you could kind of picture this, right? In the boat where they're kind of eyeing each other and going, did you bring the food? I didn't bring the food. I thought you were going to bring the food. And they're kind of keeping it hush hush. Like, don't let Jesus know that we didn't bring food. So this is kind of the, the scene here. They're concerned about food. However, look at what Jesus says. Jesus says, this is verse six. Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And the disciples hear this. And they don't understand what he's saying. They are so concerned about not having bread with them that they totally misunderstand what Jesus is talking about. They think he's scolding them for forgetting to bring food. They're so concerned or so consumed about their incompetence that they don't understand what Jesus is telling them. And so Jesus tells them or responds in this way, verse eight, he says, Oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember? Do you not perceive? Do you not understand? Do you not remember? Remember what? I don't know. Feeding 5,000 people on a few loaves of bread and fish? Or feeding 4,000 people on a few little, very little loaves and fish. It's like, why are you so concerned about food? Interesting, isn't it? The religious leaders are so blinded. They can't interpret the signs and the disciples are so concerned with, with bread that they misunderstand what Jesus is teaching. They both lack understanding. Jesus rebukes both of them. The Pharisees and Sadducees, they can't interpret. They misunderstand the signs. And the disciples are so concerned about what's in front of them, of their lack of food, that they can't understand what Jesus is saying. This is, this is kind of a, a callback to Matthew chapter 13. I keep pointing back to this. In, cha- in Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the four soils, which is about the heart Remember the, the, the soils is the heart and there's four different kinds of heart, right? And three of them, when the word is given, in some ways it doesn't, it doesn't take root and it doesn't grow and doesn't bear fruit. There's only one soil that bears fruit. But there's, there's one that where the, the word is, is thrown out like seed and it, it does take root, but there's thorns there, 
And those thorns, Jesus says, are the concerns of the world. And it chokes out the word and it doesn't grow. It dies. And this is, I think, is exactly what's happening with the disciples. They're so consumed with what is in front of them and, and, and uh, their mistakes and their issues and their problems that are so temporal that they're, they're not hearing and they're not seeing and understanding God's word, what Jesus is speaking to them right then and there. So why is Jesus so troubled over their error? It's because they have been with him for so long and have seen the mighty works he has done. Right? And they forget. So this exhortation or this rebuke, this grabs the disciples' attention. And when Jesus repeats his phrase, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees, the disciples finally understand what he's, what he's telling them. And they go, oh, wait a minute. It's not, it's not about this bread that we forgot. It's about the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And what he's meaning is, is they're teaching. Beware of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Why beware of their teaching? It's because, again, it's the blind leading the blind and the destination is not good. So if we go back, this is Matthew chapter 15, uh, the previous chapter, verse 14 says, let them alone. He, Jesus is talking about the, uh, the Pharisees. There's another interaction there and the disciples are concerned because Jesus offended the Pharisees and Jesus kind of rebukes them there, there and says, just let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. So again, we see irony as the disciples are so concerned about bread, they misunderstand what Jesus is saying, which makes it more likely that they could blindly follow the Pharisees and Sadducees into the pit. So, it's, it's kind of like this, on, uh, like if you, if you uh, think of it in today's standards of someone on their phone, maybe you're like you're in a group and you're following along. And of course, there's always the one or the two that are looking down at their phones and they're so concerned down here of figuring out. And then all of a sudden, whoosh, they like go off the curb, get hit by a car, slam into a post, something like, something like that. They think they're, they're following along and they get led into disaster. And this is kind of the same idea here. The disciples are so distracted that they're not listening to Jesus and, and they can easily turn away and follow after these false teachings without even realizing it because they're so distracted. Um, and I think this is, this is a, a call for us today as well. This is be leery, be, be watchful, be, be beware of these false teachings, these messages that we hear even today that can so easily lead us astray. And so uh, an example of this, so this past weekend, we um, had TM Pharrell, Training Men for Life, and we had, uh, the topic was uh, men's identity and what that means biblically, what, uh, what, where we should find our identity. And this is 
I would say in our culture today is the crisis of the day. It's about identity. Um, I remember uh, this was a couple of months ago. So um, my son, I'm blaming this on my son. My son uh, wanted to start riding motorcycles. And so uh, he got me into it as well. And so we had to get our license. So we went through this training to ride motorcycles and he um, came with me. And so it was, uh, I think in, out in Kalamazoo or something like that, where we took this training, it was like 15 hours of, of uh, training. And we're with these group of guys and, and um, let's just say that they came from a different place. These were a different group of guys. And um, they, they weren't churchgoers, let's just put it that way. And so as we were interacting, they would ask, um, hey, where are you from and what do you do? Of course, so I'm like, well, I, I'm, I'm a pastor at a church. So that kind of set me apart a little bit. Um, and, and it was interesting. One guy came up to me uh, during this training and we were taking a break and he goes, so uh, I got a question for you. I want to hear from you what you think of the issue of transgenderism today. And I want you to be honest. Tell me what you really think, right? And, uh, and Aiden is standing right there and he's got this big smile on his face and he looks over at me. He's like, how are you gonna handle this, dad? And, uh, but I, I, I said, you know, I think, I think the one thing that we, we need to realize is that this, um, we should be saddened we sh- because this is actually an issue of, of identity and, and having um, a, an issue of not knowing what your identity is and a search for identity. And listen, if, if you don't know what your identity is, you're like a ship on this raging ocean with no sail and with no anchor. It's just, you're being tossed to and fro, like you're just going anywhere. And that is a terrible, awful place to be. If you're not grounded, that is, that is a hard place to be. And so there's an aspect, and I know that there's, it's a little bit more complicated than that, but there's, there's an aspect where we need to have compassion and, and, um, and be saddened and be praying for these people that are so lost. Now, there's a deviant side to it as well. We won't get into that. But there's also a side where we need to show compassion. And what do these people need most? They need to understand their identity, their identity in Jesus. That's, that's number one right there. So anyways, all that to say, where am I going with this? Um, let me try to tie this back in. Um, it's so easy for us to be distracted and, and even the arguments and the, and the issues and even be led in anger in this direction or that direction or be um, just aloof and be like, forget it. I don't even want to mess with it and, and ignore it. God wants us to interact with these things, but I, but I think it's in the right way. Okay, so... This is where we turn the corner. So we just saw how easily it is to be deceived or misunderstand 
and get distracted and fall into a pit. But now we're going to see what happens when God reveals his truth. So this is the turning point, verses 13 through 20. Now, we don't know exactly how long later this event takes place after they cross the sea, but they are now in the district of Caesarea Philippi. And it's here that Jesus starts another conversation with the disciples. And it starts out this way. This is verse 13. He says, who do the people say that I am? Now, just think about all of the people that the disciples have interacted with so far. Okay, going back to the Sermon on the Mount and all the crowds there and then all their travels, the, the crowds that he gathers in the desolate place. So the disciples are interacting with all these people. And it's interesting then how the disciples answer this question. Verse 14, they say, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So this list is basically a list of prophets. Even, even John the Baptist is a prophet in the sense of pointing towards something greater than himself. And so Jesus is put in the category of prophet, which by the way, is not a bad group to be affiliated with, but it seems that the people are still missing something. They too do not fully understand who Jesus is. And so think about that. The religious, litter, the religious leaders are deceiving. They, they don't get it. The disciples are confused and distracted. They don't get it. And the people still don't totally get it either. You're st starting to see a pattern throughout these events of misunderstanding, of not, not seeing it. So Jesus turns this around then and says, okay, who do you say that I am? Now he's going to the disciples. Who do you say I am? And of course, it's Peter who speaks up, right? Peter's always the one that's bringing these things up and, and answering and responding. Verse 16, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Boom. This should be a surprise. After, after knowing how Peter is and how sometimes he can speak before thinking, all of a sudden he says something that is huge. This is, this is a wow moment. Peter finally gets it. And notice he doesn't say things uh, like he thinks he's the Christ or that Jesus is the Christ to him. Well, I don't know about other people, but for me, you're the Christ. He doesn't say it in that way. This is not an opinion. It's an emphatic present tense verb. You are, not you might be. You are the Christ. And, and the word Christ is equivalent to you are the promised king or you are the eternal or forever king. This is, you are the one that has been promised to us from the Old Testament, this, this kingly Messiah that is to come, that's going to save his people. And it's because of Peter's accurate confession that Jesus declares Peter blessed. So look at verse 17. Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Now that statement is packed full of some very interesting things. I want to point out two for you. Number one, okay, so you remember it's 
the religious leaders and the disciples earlier and the people that are not getting it, they misunderstand. And it is here that Peter understands and why does he understand? It's because God revealed it to him. It is God who opens up the heart and opens up our eyes to reveal his truth. This is a work of God. Flesh and blood cannot get us there. It's only through the power of God, specifically through the Holy Spirit, that we can truly understand truth. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. Make sure you come back next week to hear the next message in our series.